0: We've mentioned already this topic of fear this morning. Uh, If I were to ask you what you fear, some different things might come to mind. There's general fears that a lot of us have. Uh, Fear of heights. I had a good friend in college who had a terrible fear of clowns. Some of you might have that fear. Uh, There are other things that we might fear. Maybe not big picture issues like that, just Things like the unknown, we, we, we don't know what's coming next, and so we may fear that. We may fear change. There's, there's lots of things that we can fear. Some of them we can avoid. In fact, I read a study not too long ago, it said that the most common fear among people, over half of the people surveyed, they fear snakes. Well, they should fear snakes. We talked about that in Genesis and the enemy, and if you are here this morning and you have pet snakes... We will pray for you. You're weird. It's not natural. We don't like snakes. People fear snakes, but there's a real easy way to deal with the fear of snakes. Stay away from snakes. There are things we fear that we can stay away from. You fear heights. You stay away from tall buildings. You fear closed-in spaces. You stay away from closed-in spaces. But there are other fears we have that we can't avoid. And in the Christian life, We must deal with our fears. And there are things that perhaps we fear that have happened. There are things that we can fear that may never happen. But when it comes to this issue of fear, we have to reconcile how do we deal with fear and follow God and have faith. How does our faith affect how we deal with fear? And I think we see that issue dealt with in this text today because we see Abram responding in fear not responding so well but I think there's something we can learn here from him something about the context of what happens here and then a bigger picture issue that we'll look at at the end of our study today of how this relates to the gospel and so we'll begin by looking at this issue of fear with point one that I've put in your notes there the point is this that faith and trust in God are diminished by fear We have seen already of Abram great faith and great trust. If you were with us last Lord's Day, you know Genesis 12, 1-9, God calls Abram to leave his homeland, to leave his family, to go to a place that God says He's going to show him. He doesn't even tell him exactly where it's going to be. But He calls Abram to step out in faith, and Abram does that. The text tells us, Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, so Abram went. He trusts God, he follows God, and he goes. He steps out in that faith, he steps out in that trust, despite many obstacles. As we mentioned last week, there's the issue of Abram's age. He is old at this point, really about midlife for him. Uh, God says to Abram that he's going to bless the nations through him, and yet there's a problem with that. Abram's wife Sarah cannot have children or at least it seems she cannot have children and then as if that's not enough obstacles we looked at how abram goes into the land that god's calling him to there's already people there it's already inhabited and yet despite these things it seems that abram is walking in faith trusting god but then we come to the text today and we find that that trust that faith begins to waver begins to struggle with verse 10 where it tells us now there was a Famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, we don't know uh, if God told Abram to go specifically to Egypt. We don't know if if God called him to do that. I think that the indication of the text here is that Abram is responding to fear because we'll see him respond to it more as he gets to Egypt. I think the indication is likely that Abram's beginning to struggle in his faith. I mean, here he is, God said, go to this land, and so he goes. It's a pagan land, they're worshiping false gods. He sets up worship to the one true God. And now, there's a famine. Now there aren't resources. And I think what we see here is Abram's faith begins to waver. Uh, He is doubting God in this area of provision. God has said He's going to bless him greatly. And perhaps Abram at this point is wondering, well, God, how's how's that going to happen when I can't even feed my family and so Abram looks for provision and he finds it in Egypt but in doing that I think we have an indication here that Abram's not trusting God to provide for him we see that as a theme throughout the scripture we see that as a theme in our lives that oftentimes when when we struggle Specifically with provision, when things aren't there, that we want to be there, that we expect to be there, rather than stop and wait on God, we seek to make provision for ourselves. A lot of times we think that we know better than God. We think that God is somehow maybe holding something back from us. That we have to make our own way. And so we look there in creation. God says to Adam and Eve, you can have of any tree in this garden, this is provision for you, but this tree is for protection. You're not to eat of it. Least you should die. What does the enemy say? He says, oh no, there's something here God doesn't want you to have. There's something here God's holding back from you. You, you. you need to take this for yourself. And so what do Adam and Eve do? They, they then take of that tree. They don't trust in God for His provision. They seek to make their own way. And I believe that's what we see here with Abram. Rather than stopping and waiting and trusting in God, he's going to find provision for himself. I think that's what we see in our lives as well. Now, how often... Do you just stop and wait on God? We are conditioned to act. We are conditioned to do something. Most of us don't like to sit still for long. And so the whole idea of just stopping and waiting for God to provide, well, that's against our nature sometimes. And yet I believe that's exactly what it is God calls us to do over and over and over again through His Word. And we have to be very careful, Christian, because so often we we think we know the right way. That tree looks good. Egypt's where the food is. And yet the Scripture tells us, Proverbs 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Oftentimes we, we think making our way, carving our own path, that we're we're going to get what we need, but so often we find ourselves far from where it is God intended us to be and far from the place that He has called us to. And so we see here in Abram the need for us to trust God for His provision. Because Abram struggles with that, not only for provision, Abram struggles to trust God to protect him. As he goes now into Egypt, he looks to his wife Sarah and he says, listen, I I know that you're beautiful in appearance. And this is going to be a problem for us. Because we're going to get down there. And and I know about these Egyptians. They're going to see your beauty. And they're going to want to take you to be part of their harem. Taken to the Pharaoh's house as a wife of his. And that's not going to be good for me. Because they're going to kill me. We see Abram here doesn't seem real concerned about Sarah. He's very concerned about himself. In fact, even notes, they'll kill me, they'll let you live. <laughs> You're going to be okay, but I'm not. And that's not good. And so Abram makes this plan with Sarah that to tell others that she's his sister. Now, we, we've looked at this a little bit as we've looked at the genealogies, and at this point in salvation history, there was a lot of intermarrying in families. And in fact, uh, Abram and Sarah, uh, she was his half-sister. We'll come to see that in Genesis chapter 20. They shared the same father. And so, Abram here is, he's not really telling a lie, but he's certainly not revealing the whole truth. Aren't you glad we don't struggle with that at all? <laughs> you know, Abram doesn't go into this situation and in fear go, well, I'm just going to concoct this whole big story and make up this whole big lie. No, he, he takes articles of the truth and he just kind of massages them to his own benefit. Again, does that sound familiar at all? So often, we'll go into a situation and we'll think, well, well, I'm not going to lie, but you also don't have to tell them everything. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to make things worse. We have all these reasons for it, but we just, rather than disclosing, we kind of deceive by not revealing what is really true. And that's what Abram does here. He's not trusting God to provide. And he's certainly not trusting God to protect him. And so he goes into this situation. And rather than offering full disclosure and saying, this is my wife, but God's going to protect us. You can't do anything to us. He goes into the situation and he deceives. And he says it's his sister. And sure enough, the princes of the Pharaoh take her into their house. And notice what happens to Abram. Things go really well with him. It seems here that this faithless man gets rewarded and gets blessed. says that the Pharaoh, in exchange for Sarah, deals well with Abram. Gives him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, camels. This, this is pretty good for Abram. He, he gets some good things here. So here you have one who's not trusting God who's making a bad decision, and yet they get rewarded for that. Again, does that sound familiar? I mean, do you ever look out at the world and you see those who aren't walking with God, who aren't trusting God, and yet it seems like things are really going well for them? And then you're trying to exercise faith and trust and follow, and maybe things aren't going so well for you, and you look and go, well, Lord, this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. The equation's not working for me. Well what you see here, and I think what we often see in those situations is, yeah, faithlessness may still be rewarded for a season. But what Abram is doing here is settling for far less than what God has promised him. that the yield of his fear, the result of his fear and faithlessness, is far less than the reward that God has for him. God has said to Abram, Abram, I'm going to bless the nations through you. That goes back to a promise he made in Genesis 3.15. The Messiah is ultimately going to come through Abram. And what is Abram settling for? He settles for some livestock and some servants. He settles for far less than what it is God has for him. And friends, I think that so often we do the same. We struggle to have faith. We struggle to trust if God really knows best. And we think we've got to carve our own path, we've got to make our own way, and we get our livestock and our stuff together and we're kind of happy, we feel like things are well, and yet we are where Abram is. We're not where we should be. And God is still in control. And God has a different plan and God will take us from those things to put us exactly where He wants us. And that's what we see here because Abram's not going to thwart the plans of God. What we see in point 2 I'll put in your notes in this text is this, that God is faithful even when we lack faith. God has promised to make Abram a great nation. God has promised that through Abram the Messiah is going to come. That, that's in jeopardy now. Uh, Specifically, we'll find out as we continue in Genesis, that God says to Abram, it's from you and Sarah that I'm going to provide a child. And from this child, I'm going to bless the nations. And ultimately, the Messiah is going to come from this union. What's the problem there? Well, the problem is that Abram has now exchanged his wife to another man and says, you can have her, and I've got this stuff. It would seem God's plans in great jeopardy. And yet, friend, God's plans are never... In great jeopardy. Because God's plans don't rest on us, they rest on God. And when we lack faith, when we don't have faith, when we are unfaithful, when we are faithless, God is still faithful. And that is what we see very clearly in this text because Abraham, or Abram's going to respond and see that God's going to do exactly what God promised to do. God had promised Abram already that he was going to curse those who dishonored him. Pharaoh is dishonoring him. Pharaoh doesn't know he's dishonoring him. Pharaoh thinks this is his sister. Pharaoh thinks he's gone into doing this deal just the way you should do it. And yet, Pharaoh is dishonoring Abram. And so God's going to curse Pharaoh. God brings these curses on Pharaoh's house. text doesn't go into all the details, but essentially through these afflictions that the Lord brings to Pharaoh, he comes to realize that Sarah is indeed Abram's wife, and so then he confronts Abram. He says, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here, here's your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh looks at this situation and says, I don't want to have anything else to do with this. You take her and you leave. Now, consider this moment. Abram was called ultimately to do what God's people were always called to do in Scripture. He was called to share the glory of God with the nations. It's what we're called to do here today. And Abram had the opportunity in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this famine, he goes into a pagan land. He has the opportunity to go into Egypt following the one true God, exercising faith in that God, trusting in that God, to share about God with the nations. And yet, what does he do? Abram cowers. Abraham doesn't trust. He doesn't have faith. And what happens? Well, it would seem here that he really loses an opportunity to witness. you ever feel that way? you ever feel like you're in the midst of a people who aren't Christians? Maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's people in your family. And that you've got this opportunity to share the gospel with them. But because you're with them so much, you feel like you lose that opportunity because they really know who you are. That they hear what you say. They see what you do and you feel like in those opportunities that you just completely blow it. You you lose your witness. You you really lose that opportunity to share the gospel with them because you just lose your temper or whatever it might be. Well, friends, I, I believe that those then are the greatest moments for us to witness and for us to talk about the gospel because the gospel is not about us being perfect people, the gospel is not about us having our act together, the gospel is not about us being good, moral people, the gospel is about God saving those who are lost and redeeming them for Himself. The gospel is about God taking those who lack faith, and because He is faithful, He secures us in a relationship with Him through Christ. And so, in those moments when we feel like we've lost that chance that is a great chance Uh, i know personally as a parent i have a lot of opportunities to share the gospel with my children because i lose it a lot (laughs) maybe that's just me i'm sure none of you ever have but sometimes i cross the line i lose my temper i yell i find myself doing the very thing that i just preached on not to do when i get home and then i do it but in those moments, it's an opportunity to look to my kids and say, you know what, Daddy blew it. Daddy sinned. But the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus went to the cross for daddies who were going to lose their temper with their kids. It doesn't excuse the behavior, but it puts it into the context of the Gospel that Christ has gone to the cross for us and for our sin. And friends, we are all in desperate need of redemption. And in those moments when we blow it, and those moments when we lack faith, those are excellent moments to put the spotlight on God, the one who truly is faithful, even when we are not. And so often we are not. I believe we see those things from this text, and I think from those, there's a, there's a great implication then that comes from this. Relating to the Gospel, as I've shared before, any time we look at these Old Testament texts, we need to look at the big picture of the Gospel. What does this tell us about the Gospel? What does this tell us about Jesus? And I think there's a big point here to be had in this passage, and it's this. It's the last point that i put in your notes there. The Gospel implication of this passage is that Jesus is the groom who never forsakes His bride. In the New Testament, you have this picture of Jesus as the groom and the church as his bride. Now that's why in Revelation 21 you have this picture of the church being prepared as a bride for her husband. That's why the church is referred to as the, the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride. And notice how it is Jesus treats his bride. And how differently that is than Abram who struggles here. Abram goes into Egypt and he's threatened. And so what does he do? Now, he forsakes His bride. He kind of casts His bride out. He says, I'm going to save Myself. You, you'll be fine. Jesus comes. He comes into Jerusalem. He, he knows He's going to go to the cross. And yet, rather than save Himself, He lays down His life for His bride. For you, church. And that should come as great comfort in the midst of your fears. Because there is one who holds you in His hand. And there is one in whom we can rest and we need not have any fear. Because there is nothing the Scripture tells us that can affect us, destroy us, corrupt us when we're in the hand of Jesus. Our bodies? Yeah. We may die. But though we die, we will live. And that's why when Jesus comes and He comes for His bride, He speaks specifically to this issue of fear. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus deals with this. He helps us to understand how we are to deal with this. He says this in verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I also will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny before My Father who is in heaven. Well, what's the Context of fear here. Jesus says, You don't need to be scared because what can the world do to us? Kill us? <laughs> That's it. Eternally, we are secure in Christ Jesus. And Jesus says, If you are in Christ, you need not fear. You need to trust God because He has you in His hand and He will provide and He will protect in ways He sees fit. He says, listen, newsflash, we're all going to die. Every one of us. I hope it's not today, but it may be. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But Jesus says, oh, He does. And that He holds us in His hand. And that He protects us. And He cares for us. And that His promises will indeed come to fruition. And so we need not live according to fear. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, "You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, "Abba, Father." Paul was saying, "Because we are secure in Christ, we need not fear anything. This world can't truly take away those things that matter. We are secure. In him. We see here in Genesis 12 the picture of a groom who casts his bride to the side. But, Christian, that is not who you are. We have a groom in Christ who holds on to us, who protects us, and in his hand we need not fear anything. And we can rejoice. We don't rejoice because the famine won't kill us. Maybe the famine will kill us. God hasn't promised that it won't. But God has promised that he will take care of us, that he will provide and protect and care for us, that this world can only take our bodies but not our souls. We don't rejoice because God has promised us safety. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We're never truly safe, but in Christ, we are secure and we can rejoice because we rest in Him and because He holds us in His hand. We certainly don't rejoice today because we're so faithful. Friends, we're not. We struggle in our faith. I struggle in my faith. We question and we don't know and and so often we're inconsistent and God says, do this and we don't. And then he says, don't do this and we do. But we can be secure because God is faithful and because God will do what he promised to do. Abram could rest in that and ultimately will because God says in Genesis 3.15 he's going to bring the Messiah and he's going to crush the head of the enemy. And that's exactly what God will do through Abram's line. And He rests in that promise. You and I can rest in the promises of God as well. Because as we've looked recently, Revelation 21, He promises a day where there's no more mourning, no more tears, a new heaven and a new earth. And that is our eternal home. And that's what He's calling us to. And God will most certainly do what He has said that He will do. And friend, we can rest in that. If you would, go with me to God in prayer. Father, we thank You that we can trust in You and have faith in You. Lord, I know in this room, there are probably many different fears here today. I'm sure there are many things that have brought worry and anxiety and doubt and fear into the hearts and minds of this congregation. But Lord, we thank You that Your Word reminds us that we need not fear these things. That ultimately, our faith does not rest on this world. Our faith does not rest in comfort. Our faith must rest in You and in the Gospel. That Jesus promised us that there would indeed be suffering, but that we are secure in Him. Father, I pray for any of this Lord's Day who's not secure in Christ, any who is trying to carve their own path, make their own way, any who stand separate from You today under the condemnation of Your wrath for their sin. Father, that through Your Spirit You might call them to faith and repentance. Father, I pray for those that You're calling to be a part of our church family. I pray for those who perhaps this morning they're having to deal with some fears and in these moments they simply need to go to You and repent and trust and believe. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would respond as You lead us in this time of invitation. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.